All right. Well, let's get started with phone calls. My favorite thing we do. Good morning, Don. Let's get it going, huh? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Nice thing about radio, you only have to sound awake. You don't have to look awake. Oh, no, I'm quite awake. Um, My problem is my peach trees are starting to bud out. Yep. And And I'm up in Kerrville. Is that going to be a problem or... Well, it just really depends on how much freezing, how much, uh, you know, what the potential is for a really hard freeze. Um, Do you know what varieties you have? Oh, Harvester and uh, mainly I think they're all Harvester, but I've got some Fuji Fuji apples and i got some uh, pears that are also Burford pears. Yeah, Bradford pears. Um, the um, the thing that uh, the thing that happens, and it's just what I was talking about when we came on the air, is that uh, these trees, especially your your apples, especially your peaches, they have a little internal clock that measures how much chilling weather we get. And chilling weather is the amount of weather below forty five degrees, the number of hours below forty five degrees, and when we hit that number and and that's why we are so careful about the varieties we plant it's why we can't plant the northern apples because we don't ever get enough chilling hours but on peaches you know there are peaches that have as low a chilling requirement as 300 hours which is what they grow down you know well into south texas and then you have your peaches you see up in fredericksburg that are mainly a thousand to twelve hundred hour peaches because once a peach has met that chilling requirement if we have some warm weather, it's going to bloom. Now, I think what you're going to see with your trees is that we are chilling back down. And we, we had all that chilling weather starting back in uh, October. And a lot of trees have already fulfilled their chilling requirements. And then the past couple of weeks, we've gotten a lot of nice warm days. And so the fruit tree responds by saying, oh, gee, it must be spring. I think I'll bloom. And the uh, the the good news is that dropping back down into those 30s and 40s, which is what we're looking at for low temperatures for the next 10 days at least, that's going to slow down the development of the buds. And as long as we don't get one of those uh, dips down into the teens, and right now there's no indication of that on the horizon. There's been some. Uh, there's a lot of very cold air bottled up. Uh, you know, up in Arctic regions, from what my meteorologist friends tell me, and they say it's just a matter of time till it breaks out. But what's happening is it's breaking out and moving east of us. So be glad you don't live in Atlanta or all the way up the Atlantic seaboard because they're they look like they're going to get nailed with some really severe weather. But it's not really anything that you have done wrong. It's not really anything that you can do anything about. Um, the you know if it happens uh, several years in a row, a lot of people say, well, I must uh, I'll just go with a higher chilling hour peach so it doesn't try to bloom out so early, and then we get a winter when we didn't don't have much chilling weather at all and the tree never blooms. So yeah. you're kind of between a rock and a hard place because Texas weather is so variable. In Kerrville, you're going to average about 800 hours of chilling weather. I wish that the weather service or you know, one of these one of these apps like Weather Underground or something like that. They can always tell you what the temperature is, but I wish they would use a recording thermometer that would tell us how many hours below forty five degrees we've had in different areas because that's it's real interesting data. 
And I am told by friends down in the oil patch that uh, they they use those things all the time to keep up with weather and how many chilling hours we've had. But um, and it's kind of a long explanation of why your yeah. fruit trees are budding earlier than they normally would. And like I say, unfortunately, there's not a blasted thing you can do about it without building a greenhouse over them or something or other. But as long as we don't get a prolonged period down in the uh, you know middle to low 20s or, heaven forbid, down into the teens, you're still going to get a good peach crop. And it actually would probably be the best thing we could have if we get enough of a freeze to knock out about 80% of the blooms but let the other 20% of them you know, grow and develop normally because that way you wouldn't have to do any thinning. That'll be good. Now, it went from the problem to the, to the dream. I'm trying to build a little cornfield for my granddaughter. It's, it's not okay. very much. I mean, it's like 50 bucks. There are people that live in town whose entire lot is not that big. So, yeah, <laughs> to those of us who live in the country, that's that's a little small patch of ground. But that's that's plenty of ground to look after, hey, that's for sure. Yeah. That's how much dirt I've brought in. I've already brought in almost 200 yards of dirt and dumped it in there. So yeah. about, about a foot to two feet deep, and it's level. What is the best irrigation that I can use? In that situation, you know, whether I should use a bubbler, I mean, use, you know, pulsating sprinklers for it no. or use... No, those uh, those things waste too much water. And, um, you know, the old-fashioned thing to do would have been flood irrigation. But today yes. we have... We have some very, very efficient, in effect, drip irrigation systems. There's one out there, the cheapest one. They simply call it T, as in, you know, the first first letter in Tom, T-tape. And it is designed to be a sort of a temporary one or two season things, using a lot of places where they plant sugar cane and they just plow it up every so often and plan on putting in fresh. And like I say, it's super inexpensive. Uh, what I use in my garden and what I recommend most highly, uh, and I think your garden is certainly an appropriate size to do it, is a uh, type of drip irrigation that's called pressure-compensated tubing. I don't like soaker hoses. Soaker hoses put out a high percentage of the water in the first portion of the line. Probably 80% of the water comes out of a soaker hose, comes out in the first 20% of the line. This pressure-compensated drip tubing that's uh, the best one's made by Rainbird, uh, it will give you exactly the same amount of water 200 feet down the row as it does, you know, in the first little emitter. They're built-in emitters along this uh, row, and basically... It's just kind of a, oh gosh, what do you want to call it, a little erector set, kind of a little model building thing. Uh, you buy inexpensive plastic T's and L's. You buy the tubing in a hundred, well, you buy it by the foot or in a hundred foot roll or a 500 foot roll. And then you put a little adapter on it that will adapt to a standard, you know, hose thread. And then it's simply a matter of laying this out. You're going to lay a row of this tubing all the way down each row where you're going to be planting your corn. You're going to be tying it into a water source. Uh, you're always going to put a little kind of little clean-out valve on it, which simply amounts to folding the tubing over and putting a little figure-eight-shaped piece, uh, piece of plastic over it. But uh, I look at the Rainbird Pressure Compensated Drip. I think that's going to be, you probably do your whole patch for, I don't know, well under $100, not nearly as much as you spent on soil, and uh, it'll last you for a lot of years. Pressure compensated drip. It's made yeah. by Rainbird. Yes, where sir. in San Antonio 
would you find something like that? Is there are various people. I know the folks over at SA Rainmaker use a lot of it. Uh, we sell it at Shades of Green. We sell it by the roll or by the foot. Oh. Um, well, then we'll just stop by your place. Well, we'd love to help you anyway. I, I, some of the box stores may carry it, but uh, we carry a little bit better grade of it. And uh, we have a little handout that will tell you exactly how to use it. And I've had about four years' experience with it, so happily answer any questions you have about it. And does it last? pretty well i have had it in place for four years and the tubing is still as good as the day i put it down the little l's and little t's that you and they're just you know push in they're uh oh gosh there's a name for that and i'll think of it in a second but uh compression yeah well no they're not compression they're they're um oh anyway there's a name for it but um uh, those things tend to get brittle so I would put a little mulch, I'd put a shovel full of dirt over, you know, the you're, you're going to have a feeder line that runs along one end of the garden where you have all these little tees coming off of it. If you keep the sunlight off of those things, I think they'll last indefinitely. And like I say, it's good to put a place that you can periodically open it up and just flush all the crud that comes out of your well or out of your water system. And uh, But mine, again, has been in place four years and it still works perfectly. Well, okay. Well, I sure thank you for your time, and have you a wonderful New Year. Well, uh, do you know about growing corn? Have you grown corn before? I have. Okay. And I've taken it to you, and you've been real proud of me. I always get bugs <laughs> at the wrong time. Well, that's that's part of the game with corn, and uh, then you have to deal with the raccoons and things. But the important thing, of course, is rows side by side, not long, slender rows because of the wind pollination. You want to have, uh, if you only plant half the cornfield, you know, you don't you don't make a bunch of long rows. You make shorter rows where you have them stacked up one against the other against the other because that's what gives you the good pollination and the quality ears. Okay. And then if I do, that is one question, if I plant different types because she wants popcorn and regular corn and, sure. you know, of course, the Indian corn. And do they pollinate each other, or would they? they do. I have to have that certain. No, they they pollinate each other just fine, and you you won't be saving your own seed because you probably get some really mixed up genetics. But if popcorn pollinates sweet corn, or sweet corn pollinates field corn, uh, the first generation, the corn that you harvest, will be what you planted. It won't be affected by it. But if you save that seed and planted more, you can get some mixed up genetics there. Oh, okay. All right. Then. But seed's cheap. You're just going to buy fresh seed every year, and you're going to do fine. Just be sure you get the non-GMO seed. Okay. Will do. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for your help. Always a pleasure, Don. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Goodbye. All right. Ben's up next. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Uh, my question is about uh, Oregon sugar pod peas. Yes, sir. I've got a beautiful stand of, of the peas with the with the flowers on them, and I haven't got a single pea. <laughs> well, you may need more pollinators out there, and it yeah, we don't have any. We don't have many left. Yeah. I, not this time of year. I mean, it's 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 really well. well maybe I planted them too early or something. No, sir. It's uh, it's per your planting time was real good. Um, plant some something like there's a a little flower out there called sweet alyssum. And uh-huh. man, it is a bee magnet. That is the the name. They call it sweet because of the fragrance. You can put out a little sugar water, same thing you put into your hummingbird feeders, but just put mm-hmm. some saucers out, put a natural sponge or something in there so the bees don't fall in and drown. 
But um, you just need to get a few more pollinators into the garden because if you get flowers and with the temperatures warming up, you should start getting plenty of peas set. But uh, like all legumes, uh, those flowers do need to be pollinated to make seeds. So do what you can to attract okay. more bees into the garden. And, and like I say, you can do that with some very fragrant flowers or you can do that with just sugar water like you put in a honey, hummingbird feeder. And uh, And one thing you can do... Actually, you um, you know you, you can use honey instead of regular sugar. That's what the bees love. And when you use right. uh, honey, you won't get any mildew or mold growth or anything like that, like you do with sugar. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I haven't seen a bee down here. I made uh, mason beehives and all those. I mean, places for them to 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 uh, roost and and. Uh, the, bee, the bees have left LaSalle County. Well, I'm afraid you just got too many people using the synthetic uh, pesticides and things. But you will attract them. Uh, someday you may want to think about putting in your own uh, beehive. I Something that's on my list of things to do yeah. when I get around to it. But in the meantime, do what you can to bring the bees in, and you'll you'll start getting peas. I suspect you'll get at least some peas anyway. But uh, anything okay. you can do to attract more bees in the area is going to help you get uh, get a lot more of those delicious things set. Mighty thing. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Penn. Good to hear from you. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Bye. Bye. All right. Moving along, it's Javier's turn. Good morning, Javier. Uh, morning, Bob. Morning. Uh, I had to ask you about that uh, plant, uh, medicinal plant, uh, uh, snake tree. Right. And you, you had asked a scientific name, so I, I believe I got it. Okay. Uh, it's uh, uh, Cythea, uh, C-Y-A-T-H-E-A. Okay. Uh, di- Divergence, D, D as in, as in uh, dumb, I-V-E-R-G-E-N-S. Okay. Cunz, uh, K-U-N-Z, Zebra E. Okay. You know, that's not something that I have come across in the trade. I will do a little more research on that. And um, uh, and see, I, uh, yeah, they call it a silver fern tree or silver tree fern. I, cold hardiness is going to be the question here. And most of that particular group, I know, I don't know that particular one, but I know that group of uh, ferns, and most of them will not take a super cold winter. Now, if you have a place that you can plant where it's going to be very protected, plant on the south side of your home, plant it in the kind of place that you would plant, say, a lime tree or something like that, I don't see any reason that you couldn't grow it. I'd probably enhance the soil a little bit with some compost and things that we would normally do. But uh, it's the cold hardiness that's going to be the issue there. Well, I was, well, I don't know if we can actually get it here to begin with, but uh, if it's not too tall, I was thinking to make it an indoors uh, plant, or I, I don't know the height. It's, um, it, these things, they just don't like the low humidity inside, um, and you probably don't have enough light for it. Uh, if you want to build a little greenhouse, now that would probably be just fine. But uh, trying to grow these things where you have central heat and air, you knock the humidity down just to almost nothing, especially in the winter months. Well, actually, winter and summer. 
uh, because, you know, dryer is a whole lot easier to heat in the winter and a whole lot easier to cool in the summer. So I'm not really going to suggest it. And it does get big. I mean, these things get 20, 30 feet tall. They're, I think most oh. of the species come out of New Zealand. And um, so, I mean, it's not if you, and you sound like somebody who really enjoys your plants, uh, I think about building a little greenhouse. You don't have to build anything quite as fancy as one I just finished, but uh, uh, there's some real good kits out there. Our commercial friend James that uh, calls the show regularly, uh, he gets, uh, you know, greenhouse parts and supplies through Johnny Seed, and there's another company out there called Grower Supply, also sold as Farm Tech. You might look at some of these catalogs and think about you know putting up a little 10 by 10 or 10 by 20 greenhouse you'll first thing i'll tell you about any greenhouse is it's not big enough uh they all you know just simply you will outgrow a greenhouse almost immediately you can even go over to fanix and uh you know get one of their little pop-up greenhouses or you can build a very simple frame if you're good with a hammer and saw you can you can build an adequate frame to stretch some plastic over. But I, I think if you're serious about growing this, you're going to have to um, have something just for winter protection, but something where you can still keep the humidity up and still keep the super bright light in there. Well, I have a small area, so I, I guess that's out of the question. But uh, it's, uh, apparently it's uh, grown in Costa Rica, and certain, mm-hmm. yep. uh, tropical places in Mexico, like I told uh, Veracruz and can't think of the uh, uh, you know tropical places in Mexico. So I, you know, I guess I guess then I can't get it. <laughs> well, it's it's. I suspect that you can probably find it from. You probably have to go mail order. Like I say, I've never seen it uh, with any of the growers that we use for our nursery or anywhere. But the the limiting factor is just going to be the cold hardiness, and because it is a plant that does get up to pretty good size. The the other members of that genus that I know of, uh, they're like 20 to 30 feet. Many years I had the pleasure, years ago I had the pleasure of going to New Zealand, and these things grow, you know, like a tree fern forest down there, and it's just an incredible experience walking through an area where you've got ferns that are, you know, towering 15, 20 feet above your head. So uh, it, it just... You just bring in a tropical plant. It's like growing mangoes. It's like growing, uh, you know, a, a lot of these things that grow super well when you get down in the tropical and subtropical zones. Uh, it's just that every now and then Mother Nature throws us a lot of really cold weather, and then we lose those things and have to start over. Yeah, well, <clears throat> it's supposed to be very good for the kidneys and yeah. inflammation. <laughs> So at least uh, maybe you can uh, notify your sister because I know you say she lives yeah. out there. Well, she and, lives uh, yeah, in northern Mexico. They get a little chilly, but I'll ask her about it. And my uh, niece down there is a doctor down there. I'll ask uh, Rita what uh, if they use it. Uh, you might here in San Antonio, you might call Rhonda's Nature's Way. They are the neatest, I guess you'd call them a health food store I've ever seen. And Rhonda might possibly have a product that contains you know, that specific uh, uh, nutraceutical in there that would give you the benefit. And uh, sometimes it's a whole lot easier to find a pro that's got it than trying to grow it yourself. But if anybody in town has a source or knows a source of the beneficial compounds in there, uh, give Rhonda. Rhonda Bone is her name that owns Rhonda's Nature's Way. And uh, talk to her folks and see if they're familiar with it. Okay. And I was just going to make another comment about uh uh, we also miss uh, uh, Bruce. So, oh yeah, uh, 
nothing still since last week on him? No, and I've been out of town the past couple of weeks uh, at a gift show in uh, Atlanta and then a big nursery conference down in Florida. So haven't really had a chance to follow up, and I've got, I'm running in and out two or three more times. But uh, I'll get with Bruce. I'm going to ask him to start calling in once a month or so to the show and give us a little update on what he's doing and what's yeah. new in his world. I, I remember you had mentioned a long time ago that you you had planned to have him call in. Like, yeah. Uh, I just, yeah, he hadn't so. called me in a while and I haven't called him in a while, but I'll make it a point to do it soon in Javier. Cause I know lots okay. of folks miss being able to hear him. Well, thank you, Bob. And I'll, I'll move aside for somebody else. Ah, uh, we appreciate it. And you have a great weekend and I'll bring you Sue too. up. Thank you. Good morning, Sue. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Morning, Sue. Good morning. Good morning. I, I loved your intro because, uh, I got my two peach trees from Fanex last week and it has totally changed my thinking about cold weather bring it on (laughs) well we but you know that that's the thing about chilling hours and peaches uh they need those hours below 45 degrees but 43 degrees is just as good as four degrees so we can have some nice chilly weather without having to put up with that super damaging cold stuff that we really don't like so uh yeah it's sort of the best of both worlds it's if you're like me you'd rather not have it ever get below about oh 55 or 60 degrees except for those things that we love to grow that need more chill than that but that and that's another very misconception misconception people have is that super cold is better no 44 degrees is just as good as uh 13 degrees Agreed, but I kind of like that 75 degrees that we have two weeks in spring and two weeks in fall, but that's about it. It is. So, back to peaches. Yes. Um, it was suggested to me at Xanax to go ahead and put dormant oil on the peaches, and I hadn't done anything yet, and I was kind of wondering what's your take on disease and pest prevention and what I should do. Well, if you have scale insect, then dormant oil is the thing that you use to control it. Brand new trees, I know Fanix would not knowingly sell you a tree that already had a problem. And I, yeah, I tend to be reactive rather than proactive. And here's the reason why, because dormant oil kills a lot of beneficial insects as well as smothering the scale insects. And uh, um, it it is totally safe. It's totally safe for people and pets. But uh, I'm not going to use it unless I have a problem because... You know, I think our our beneficial insects are the best problem controllers we have. So um, it used to be just that, and I know the Extension Service still says, hey, you should spray everything with dormant oil every year. But these are the same guys that tell us we should put synthetic chemical fertilizers on our yard and put out all kinds of poisons for problems, whether we have them or not. So uh, I'm dormant oil keeps for about 50 years. So if you've got dormant oil, just put it in the shed for now and maybe hopefully not, but maybe there'll be a time that you need it, but I sure would not use it just on a, you know, maybe I have a problem basis, especially on brand new trees. Okay. And then how do you feel about, uh, I don't know if they're prone to like fungal infections or not using a tenovate or cornmeal. <laughs> They, yeah, again, I doubt very much if you already have actinovate, I think it's a good thing just to dust on the roots. If I were going to add anything, it'd probably be a mycorrhizal fungal product. They are not, apple trees are super, super susceptible to cotton root rot. Peaches, it's a remote possibility. 
what is is actinovate a mycorrhizal product? No, 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 and no. Actinovate no. is a uh, bacterial product that uh, oh. it's that they it actually produces actinomycetes type of thing. But uh, and it's a great product, but I don't think you need it. I mean, if you if it's something you had uh, and it doesn't have an unlimited shelf life, so if I was going to say if you have it, go ahead and use it, but don't go out and buy it. I just don't think it's necessary. Okay, and right or wrong, I ended up with bare rooted trees. I think I was after ones that were planted, but sure. I kind of made a mistake. I saw them in a pot with dirt. Thought okay. Um, what's what's the difference in doing that? Is one better than the other? About one year. <laughs> when okay. when you buy a tree that's been an established for a container for a year, you've simply gotten a, a better, stronger root system, but mm-hmm. you're going to pay for that. You know, a well an established tree in a five-gallon container is probably going to cost you $20 more than a bare root tree does. So mm-hmm. um, when I was growing up in the nursery business, pretty much bare root trees were all we had, and um, I, there is certainly nothing wrong with them. It's just uh, like on shrubs. People, you know, ask me, should I buy a one-gallon, a five-gallon? or 15 gallon size and i say buy the biggest thing you can afford all you're buying is time and so your bare root tree is just as good as an established tree but it's going to take it a few months to catch up to uh because that that what you would buy as an established tree in a five gallon container was a bare root tree last year so you've just yeah uh, you've just given up a little time is the only thing on earth you've given up yeah, I was a little bit concerned because, I mean, the stems are pretty hardy. One's like three-quarter of an inch. The other one looks almost an inch wide. And, yeah. you know, there's kind of limited root on that. But um, they got babied, so I'm sure well, they'll be fine. And just be sure, and that's the thing that you gained is you don't have to worry about them being planted too deeply in the pot because you yes. can be sure that you plant them appropriately. But like all bare root plants are all transplantable or transplanted plants, they're really going to benefit if uh, Sue would go out there once a day, twice a day, ten times a day and take the hose and just spray water over that trunk and those limbs because, as you so accurately pointed out, they do not have a big root system, but those trees will absorb a great deal of moisture directly through that soft bark, and this will really help them get off to a faster start. Don't keep the soil overly wet, but uh, there's no such thing as wetting the top of the tree too often. Good. Um, so should I expect peaches the first year or should I no. remove them because it was a bare root? I wouldn't remove them, but I sure wouldn't expect them. I mean, if okay. it decided to put on 25 peaches, yeah, I'd take off, off all but two of them. But, uh, okay. it's, uh, you, you'll probably get a few peaches next year. By the third year, you should be into fairly good production. Okay. Oh, and by the way, you know, gosh, I think it was fall. I came to your place and I bought four sandanquas to kind of help mm-hmm. with covering a chicken coop area <clears throat> and they were a little bit more expensive than another place i looked but they look three times better four times <laughs> even those things have more i think they were about mm, just a little over a foot when i got them mm-hmm. I, I swear they're about four feet tall now yeah they're, you know, they're just really healthy plants so that was a good call making those that i'm glad it's worked out for you we we pay more for our stock you know like everything else they're growers that grow things for price alone and sell to the box stores and they're those who grow for more quality operations and we think is worth the extra money that we pay for them and uh hopefully you feel like you got the better value for it and it sounds like they're doing well for you Oh, beautiful. Hey, so can hummers have honey, or is that a no-no? Uh, hummer, hummingbirds can have honey, certainly. 
Okay. The one place you don't put honey is in the compost tea because it's antimicrobial instead right. of microbial. But, you know, those bees don't make honey uh, to make us happy. That's what, as you get into, you know, harsher climates, the bees eat their own honey all winter to survive and then go back to foraging in the spring. So uh, uh, honey is a very natural thing for the bees, and the hummers will certainly benefit from it as well. Okay. Well, that's all I got this morning. Thank well, you. Well, good questions. You get out and have a great weekend. Will do. Thank, Thank you, you, Sue. Bye-bye. Bye.